Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, James and Anthony. Today's episode will be on Thor, Love and Thunder, the latest addition to the MCU directed by Taika Waititi. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. James and I just watched Thor Love and Thunder at IMAX, and we had a wonderful time. The film ended up being a a lot better than I actually expected it to because Phase 4 has been a little bit on the weaker side for Marvel, and I wasn't super, super, super excited for the trailer. I wasn't really sold on the marketing, but um, we walked in the film, and within five minutes, I was loving it. And I think that uh, YTT did an excellent job uh, coming off of Ragnarok, which is a, such a beloved Marvel movie now. But I think they really pulled off something really fun, very sweet, and uh, it's just a great movie for families, I think. Yeah, and if you're watching this episode, we are in full Thor gear. We're wearing Thor wigs. we got some Thor shirts from our sponsor, Zavi, which we'll get into later on. But I was pleasantly surprised. I went into this movie with, like, No expectations, really, because we've been hearing a lot of mixed reviews from people. First reactions over the last few weeks, a lot of people saying, like, like, be prepared. It's like a comedy film. And overall, I give it a 7 out of 10, which I think is a good score. Like, before, like, five years ago, a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, this is at 68% critic. It used to be a good score. Yeah, But now it's like people think it's like a bad rating. It's like, that's a good movie. Like a 70 or 7 out of 10 is a good score. Not every movie has to be an 8 out of 10. The thing is, it's okay for a Marvel movie not to be amazing. Yeah, it's fine. Or any movie not to be amazing. It's okay. Not every movie has to be just an absolute stunner. And, you know, every franchise has ups and downs and... Thor has certainly had ups and downs. Thor of the Dark World, I think, is one of the just the one of the worst Marvel movies of all time. It's just like not that great of a movie. But I think, you know, it's okay for a movie not to be the best one of the year. I think there's so much competition with like what's the best, what's the most amazing, what's number one. Uh, and, you know, everyone has a different opinion. And I I I I think it's better just to be like enjoy a movie. You don't have to put it on a list of this is the top five movies of, yeah, of the year. Yeah. And, and I think below it sucks. Have fun. I, yeah, I, I just and I walk. I walked in this movie, like you said, with low expectations, and I was cracking up the entire time. The cast was really good. It was very silly. I think it was a little too silly to a fault at sometimes, but that's why TT's style. He's always been like that. Uh, but the actors were really great. I thought Christian Bale was a really excellent villain. He's he's definitely one of the best Marvel villains we've seen. Although he didn't have that much screen time. If he had a little bit, a little bit more, I think he could have surpassed um, Thanos. Honestly, because he's the, the performance is that good. It was great to see Natalie Portman in the cast again. And it was just a fun time. It was visually stunning. It's a huge feast, and the score was fun. But you know what? It is more than anything. I think Thor: Love and Thunder. It felt like a calling card to Taika Waititi as in terms of fatherhood, being a dad. And having kids, I think he has a, two daughters. I think mm-hmm. they're both and, in the movie. And yeah, and the movie just felt like it's his, it's his, it's dedicated to his kid, to his daughters. You could tell, and it was just very much like this is me being a dad, and I want to make a movie that connects to my kids. Yeah, it's a family film. That's what it feels like, and you could tell it's probably the youngest 
audience that a, they, a Marvel movie has been made for. And I understand that they're trying to make a new generation of Marvel stands and MCU fans. So they're, <laughs> they're getting ready and they're get, they're recruiting the next generation of kids. This is a kid-friendly movie. Aside from dropping the word orgies five times in this movie, yeah, I was yeah. like, it's a bit much for orgies. Yeah, it like, probably geez. flew over their heads, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, the great climax, which we'll get into later on, with involving the Asgardian kids, how they played such a huge role in this film. And Thor is the only MCU character to now have four standalone films. Iron Man obviously has three. This is the 29th film of the MCU in just 14 years, which is wow. quite an accomplishment. And to put that in perspective, James, there's only been 28 James Bond films in 60-plus years. Nuts. <laughs> On a $250 million budget, this, this movie grossed so far... $29 million as Thursday box office. It's, it's capped out. That's it. It's expected <laughs> to hit about $150 million for the opening weekend, which is very solid. I mean, that's projected more than what Thor Ragnarok made at $127 million in its opening weekend. It now holds the record for the shortest gap between an MCU MCU movie's first trailer debut and its theatrical release with, with less than a two-month gap between both. So they didn't even really have to market this movie, and it's still getting a huge turnout. Like Anthony said, we were both pleasantly surprised by this movie. It was was very fun. I love the opening sequences where we're opening up with Gore, kind of getting Gore's origins where he gets his powers. And then like this fun side of, of Thor that we were getting in, in Thor Ragnarok, the another classic Thor adventure with the <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. There's obviously pros and cons to this movie. I think it was a little too much on the comedy side, a little too light because it took away from dramatic moments, which we'll get in more detail in a little bit. But in terms of, of great pros, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, what a role and what a performance, but he was so underused in this movie. I was just waiting <clears throat> for him to come up, and he just didn't show up that yeah, often. What's interesting is I now that I look back on the marketing, I think they might have waited so long to release the first trail, the, the final trailer because... Um, or that was the first trailer two Well, they were ago. doing press junkets before yeah. the trailer even dropped. Yeah, so I think that the reason for the late delay on the trailer was maybe they weren't sure what the cut of the movie was. Mm-hmm. And because there, you could tell there were a lot of deleted scenes. Even from the trailer, there's a bunch of shots that... Like the that snowy Arctic sequence with the dead god and Gore and Korg are looking at it. That's not even in the movie. And no, it, that's in the movie. It's not in the movie. They're, they're there. That's when he saves... What's her name? Who oh, yeah, you're right. I'm up. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so actually, everything in the trailer was in the movie, but you could tell there were a lot of things that were probably filmed and in the movie, but they cut out in terms of especially gore, because what happened with gore is kind of what happened with Hela, where Hela, great start, but then she's chilling on Asgard for most of the movie, just chilling. But we got yeah. a lot of screen time yeah, with yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. And the gore, kind of the same thing happened where he's mostly chilling on that rock in space for a majority of the film. And it it seemed like because there was there's were stories that Goldblum filmed the scene with with Christian Bale, and then Peter Dinklage filmed the scene with Christian Bale, reprising both of their roles from the MCU. So I'm sure those sequences involved Gore learning about eternity and developing his plan and his his path of action. And I think those would have really helped. I think the more Gore, the the better it would have been, because Christian Bale. Excellent. You haven't seen him like this before. I like the design. I loved. I loved the character and how he attacked. How he w- moved in the shadows and disappeared into the shadows. And ha- he worked within like the shadow realm. And he had his his shadow monsters. I really loved it. And he seemed like a really formidable foe. That even when you have three Asgardian gods trying to fight him, he's hard to put down. I really loved it, and I wanted more of that. So it seems. I, I wonder why they cut that stuff out. 
maybe they wanted the runtime to be under two hours because I'm not sure. Because one other thing that this movie has is it spends a couple, a little too much time with things that aren't important. So there's two scenes that take up a good chunk of time uh, that really have no bearing. There's a there's, should we put a spoiler warning? Yeah, right spoiler now? warning. So if you haven't seen the yeah. film, go see it and then come back. Yeah. So there's a sequence where we do basically like a, a recap of Thor's story. I don't think they needed to put that in the film. Are you there's, talking about the Asgardian play with Matt Damon? No, so not yet. There's a but there's a recap narrated by Korg explaining Thor's storyline throughout the MCU. For and that's like a two and a half minute sequence going through all the highlights of Thor in the past films. That's two minutes of runtime, and then the Asgardian play. It was fun to see Damon in the Loki wig was great, and Hemsworth and Sam Neill, and then Melissa McCarthy was awesome, but busting out as Hela. It was a lot of fun, but that was like three minutes. And I feel like that that runtime, that's like six minutes of runtime, I would have loved to see Gore for that runtime instead. I agree with the Korg thing. I, I liked going back and seeing all the loss that Thor has gone through, seeing his past loves and stuff like that. And But it was funny where like, then he lost that guy and that guy because we didn't even know who... I can't remember those guys' names, his friends. Yeah, and the scene where Korg addresses the children in the cave about the deeds of Thor... It's actually a tongue-in-cheek reference to another iconic Australian-made film, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which came out in 1985, which has an almost identical scene about children hearing about that film's central protagonist, too. So I think Taika is just referencing one of his all-time favorite movies, the Mad Max franchise, which was made in Australia. So, But also, I think you know they beefed up Korg's role in this movie, whereas maybe if they beefed up Gore's role in this movie would have been a lot better. I like Korg a lot, but maybe yeah. there's a little too much Korg going on. But before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast, where you get awesome perks like our personalized videos for you, Patreon shoutouts on the show, weekly bonus episodes that every single patron has access to every week, and our $10, $25 tier, and $100 tier patrons have access to our custom personalized discord where we interact with you every day we have our watch parties on there and stuff 25 dollars tier and 100 dollars tier patrons also get their own custom personalized episode you pick the topic we do an episode just for you and 100 dollars tier pages are executive producers on the main episodes of the show we also launched our podcast masterclass online course so for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show the link is podcast masterclass.teachable.com or it's right there on the homepage of our website raiders of the lost podcast.com thank you so much for tuning in around the world leave those five star reviews please hit the notification bells now let's get back into thor Love and Thunder, and again, we will be spoiling this movie. We're going to talk about it in depth. And back to losing Gore as a huge character in the film, even though he's the main antagonist, I think we could have gotten the best antagonist in the MCU if he had more screen time because he was so underused, and Christian Bale is the key to this movie. Um, He had initially turned down the possibility of appearing in any more comic book superhero movies after the Dark Knight trilogy, seeing the genre as uninteresting from an acting perspective. However, he agreed to take on this part in this movie after his kids begged him to take on the role. His kids are even in the movie as well. Natalie Portman's kids are in the movie. And Hemsworth has two kids in this movie. His son plays a little Hemsworth. And then his daughter plays Gore's daughter in the movie, eventually Thor's daughter. And also his wife has a cameo as one of his past lovers. And I think that really set the tone for the film because it was made by a bunch of parents who have young kids. It seems like all their kids are around the same age of almost teens or young teens. And so I think that the influence of being parents really injected 
into the entire film, both Hemsworth and Waititi, with both Hemsworth and uh, Taika, especially with coming up with the story, and then the other actors as well. For, for to have Christian Bale want to do something to like because they're his. I, there's so many stories of actors doing movies to impress their kids, like Ben Affleck. He took on Batman mostly to impress his kid, and it's it's really cute when because it, you see these interviews with like some of the most famous people alive, and then. Uh, they talk about their kids and they're like, the kid, my kids don't care what I do or who I am. They, they couldn't care <laughs> like I'm less. I'm just an annoying dad. I'm just a dad. To the rest of the yeah. world, they're a superhero. Yeah, but. exactly. Like I saw a great Taika interview where he's like, I bring my kids to set and I'm like, here's Christian Bale, like one of the best actors to ever live. And like, they don't care. Not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, dad. <laughs> Not hate you, bro. This is boring, dad. <laughs> so it's funny to see how kids' influences, kids can influence their kids, their parents so much. And I really, I think this is, Definitely the most family-friendly Marvel film. And I think it was a great contrast to Multiverse of Madness. It was, Multiverse was pretty dark and uh, had some great scary elements. But also, I was worried about the CGI in Thor Love and Thunder after Multiverse of Madness because there there are a few sequences in Multiverse of Madness where the CGI, especially in the first act, was just very noticeable. And it looked, I could, the green reshoots. Yeah, exactly. Definitely reshoots. We're, and so I was worried about this CGI, but Thor Love and Thunder CGI looked great from start to finish. They did an excellent job. They really did. It, it looked a lot better than I thought it would because I knew this was going to be a green screen heavy film, visual effects heavy film like all Marvel MCU movies are. But they really pulled it off. It looked really good. And back on Gore real quick, I love the design. He looks like a skeleton and when he's in the shadows, like a Grim the Reaper teeth. almost. The teeth, yeah. like, like monstrous, like the fangs, like blood, like black ooze coming out of him. He's got this pale skin. But these vibrant, bright orange eyes that just glow in the dark like a like a leopard coming after some prey. He's so sinister and play and playful at the same time, but still played very safe by Disney for all ages and all audiences because you could have definitely seen it going darker. I think the fight between Gore and Thor um, in the black and white sequence in the Shadow Realm on that little moon is the best part of the movie. Like, those sequences are really great. They really near, nailed the action sequences. In the comics, Gore the God Butcher's powers are shared with the symbiote beings, for example, like Venom and Carnage. The film, however, has Gore get his powers from another source as the symbiotes are currently under ownership of Columbia <laughs> Pictures. Gotta come up with the so sword. Sony owns the, the symbiote, symbiotes, so yeah. they couldn't do it, so they had to figure something else out. Uh, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, and I, I enjoyed Gore a lot. The design was excellent, and a lot of people were iffy about it being so different from the comic books, but I liked it. You, you want to show Christian Bale's face. He's one of the best actors ever to do it, so you, if you have him in the movie, you're going to make audiences see, oh, that's Christian Bale, to get them excited. And I, I think it... The fight sequences were awesome. They were really good. I like the new Asgard attack, and I like the team we have. The this new uh, uh, quattro of people and this misfit band of guys and gals, and I enjoyed them introducing more gods as well. Uh, Zeus is introduced into this Hercules post credit scene. It was pretty cool to see, and I like the uh, omnis- omnipotent city. That was a lot of fun. I but I really like because Gore's comic book accurate origin story in this movie. And I liked how the gods were portrayed as very apathetic towards humanity or just other beings, the beings who worshipped them. I thought it was excellent. I liked seeing that it was a different take, especially from like Clash of the Titans franchise and other things we've seen in like animated shows and stuff. So I enjoyed the apathy of the gods that fuels gore. And it was very tragic. Christian Bale brought a lot of humanity to the role, especially the finale when he's dying. He's just, even when he's playing like such a nasty guy, he has 
so much authenticity and raw power in his performance. It just touches you. It is very heartbreaking. But I will say, like you said, they they took the safe route. It, it, I wanted to see more god butchering. Yeah, <laughs> we only saw him kill one god. Yeah, that's. Yeah. it seems like they cut a bunch of god butchering yeah. scenes. Out. And they just the made god... like a, a supercut on the guardian screen. Or the god butcher, yeah. and he just goes to new Asgard yeah. on Earth. It's like, all right. I would have liked to see him take down a lot more gods to really show off his powers and how much of a terrible force of might he was. We didn't know exactly what he could do yet until he actually fought Thor. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel the exact same way. And Gore, he's got, he's got great motivations. You know, he's lost everything. There is no oasis. There's no uh, afterlife that was uh, promised to him by his god, who he renounces and then gets the power Dionysus. of the Necromancer. Yeah, he gets the power of the Necromancer sword. And his oath is now to kill all gods. But he becomes the god of hypocrisy, where he himself becomes a god. He becomes everything he hates. And he wants to reach eternity to be granted a wish to end all gods. However, he is convinced by the end from Thor to instead choose love and bring back the daughter that he lost at the end of the film, which is very touching. And Thor in this film, we all know how Ragnarok just reinvented the character in terms of bringing Hemsworth's natural charisma and charm and comedic acting as well as Taika's great comedic writing to create a great new invention of the character. And I think what Ragnarok did so well was balancing the comedy with the drama and serious tone that Ragnarok has so well. And with this one, it seems like everything out of Thor's mouth was was just kind of a joke, which at times was very funny, but a lot of jokes in this movie did miss. We were in a full theater. There were a lot of jokes not getting laughed at in this film, which I understand, you know, they're taking shots. You can't nail every single joke, but I feel like Ragnarok nailed every single joke. Yeah, Ragnarok was consistently funny. And I think that just too much of everything that came out of Thor's mouth was sarcastic and just kind of just cartoonish that it took away from the serious moments of this film when things had to get serious, when things were dramatic. It's, it took away the, from the moments of, oh, now he's got a serious voice and a serious tone. Now it's like a, kind of just like flipping a switch. So it's kind of almost like a two-dimensional character where it's better than one-dimensional character, of course, but like he's got two two voices really, sarcastic yeah. Thor or just like dramatic Thor. Yeah, I agree because Hemsworth is absolutely hysterical. And he has that natural humor and comedic chops. And he is very funny at times in this film. Like, the, the, a lot of the jokes... I was he, cracking up. Even though, uh, even though some of the jokes didn't land, some of them landed hard. And they were very funny. And I loved I loved the addition of the X-X, the X-weapon and the current weapon. The love triangle the love, with the yeah. weapons is the funniest thing that between was, Thor, like, Stormbreaker, like, and Mjolnir. He's stroking the chin of the of the of Stormbreakers. That, that was one of my favorite aspects of the movie, that great whole ongoing, dynamic. Great ongoing joke. It was terrific. So there was a lot of great comedy, but I agree with you. During the more serious and somber t- moments, it was still, he was being a goofy bonehead a little too much. And it kind of took away from, you know, Thor, He has he's thousands of years old. He He does have a lot of great qualities like honor and righteousness and he is a good person and he's a morally morally good man and he's had great moments so and and when you see important moments and he's still acting like the Ragnarok goofball it does kind of take you out of those moments and it's played for laughs a little too much I would say so I agree with you and there are a couple of scenes like when he's for the first time he finds the kids in the cage with Gore uh, on Gore's rock and he's like acting like kind of like a bumbling bonehead. I, I wanted, I was like, Thor, these kids are like fearful for their lives, and he's still kind of acting like so goofy. I would have liked moments like that in a couple moments with Jane to be a little bit more, you know, 
serious, not doesn't have to be super dramatic, but a little just just a little more mature in terms of his reactions to things. He was just a little too immature at times. So Especially, I agree. Yeah, because of all the transformations that Thor has gone through in the MCU since he came into it, you know, he loses his worthiness of Mjolnir from his father and then gains it back again. And then and after he fails to kill Thanos, he has to get his worthiness again. So he's gone through so many ups and downs. And to make it just wipe kind of all that away, make him seem like he has lost all the great traits he's gained over this yeah. journey. Still, you know, it's fine that he's finding himself. I get that. It's a new take. It's cool. It's fun. We got to mix it up a little bit. But just, yeah, I, I think Thor has better traits that should have been it's shown just, more. It's not just goofy. Yeah. But also, Hemsworth arms are crazy he's in this movie. Enormous in this. Absolutely distracting. Like, what the hell? What this he's guy on, eat? When he's on screen, I just couldn't stop looking at his arms. Enormous! Yeah. Like, the craziest jacked arms I've ever seen. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger level in Commando. Yeah. It's crazy. I love his new outfits and costumes as well. I, I love the colorful. It's like very comic book accurate. Um, Chris Hemsworth, this is his eighth time playing the character Thor. Achieved his wow. big, biggest physique yet for this film. Getting up to... 230 pounds for the role or 105 kilos. His longtime trainer, Luke Zoki, said he's in phenomenal shape. It's the biggest he's ever been, heaviest he's ever been. He's 6'3", and again, he weighed 231 pounds. The extent of musculature required Hemsworth to eat at least eight times a day during the duration of filming and training just to maintain all the muscle mass he had acquired. It's it's crazy, and and the the great sequence where Zeus flicks off his wardrobe, it's it's really terrific. It works like, in that scene really well. He put well. a lot of work. He looked in. like like a, a Ken doll. It's crazy. <laughs> like I respect that. He looked like an act. action figure. Like Hemsworth has been doing it for a long time, and he, yeah. that's a lot of work. So yeah. I, I respect the hell out of countless hours in the gym just to get that kind of physique at that height is yeah. so hard to do, especially at his age. So, yeah, so good for him. Crazy amount of work went into that. I really liked Mighty Thor in this film. Yeah, Jane I thought Foster. she was excellent. Yeah. Jane was like a character who it was kind of hard to connect with in the previous Thor films because I didn't. I don't think they wrote her too well. But this role with Jane Foster and Mighty Thor, I thought they nailed it. And I was a little skeptical. I know a lot of people online were like, oh, Mighty Thor is going to replace Thor. But they didn't do that at all. And they kind of really nailed the, the dynamic between the two of them in terms of working together. And I really enjoyed Natalie's Thor because she's so charming in this. In the trailer... We didn't get much of the charming lines that are all over this movie of Mighty Thor and Jane Foster. We got a couple in the trailer, but she seemed like much more of a serious hero in the in the trailer versus the film because it reminded me of like Tom Hanks and Big as this kid who, who becomes a, an adult overnight. And he's just having the best times. Like you're like the first; it's your first day with the cool kids, kind of. And this is like a human being becoming a god overnight. Like she's having so much fun. She's has endless optimism. She's like a, she's so giddy all the time. She's like, oh my God, I'm a superhero. This is so cool at the same time as being a great hero. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is sponsored by our great friends, Zavi, the home for popular culture. Go to their website, zavi.com, that's Z-A-V-V-I.com, and use our coupon code Raiders to get all sorts of discounts today. Zavi has a bunch of new gear, including a new Thor 11 Thunder clothing line, as well as Thor merchandise like pop figures for Thor, Mighty Thor, Korg, Gore, and Valkyrie. They also have epic Lego sets, action figures, even your own Mjolnir Hammer and Stormbreak. Breaker Axe. They also have a gigantic selection of Blu-rays and steelbooks for all you movie collectors, as well as selections for collectors' items from everything from anime to your favorite franchises, TV, movies, whatever your heart desires, Zavi.com has you covered. 
Zavi is the go-to place for merch, clothing, collectibles, all inspired from your favorite franchises. Did you know they also have a monthly magazine, too, called The Lowdown that's free for you to read right now and check out the June edition because we are in there. July's issue celebrates the release of Thor Love and Thunder, and they catch up with Taika Waititi in an exclusive feature on DC's Super Pets and 25-year celebration of GoldenEye video games. The best video game ever. <laughs> Zavi hooked us up with all sorts of cool Thor Love and Thunder merch. We have these cool sleeveless shirts they got us, and also, they also sent us a Lego Batmobile from the Batman. This thing is crazy. It's enormous. I'm going to build it this weekend. I can't wait. It'll be my first Lego build, so thank you so much to Zavi for sending this. So go to Zavi.com, Z-A-V-V-I.com right now. Use our coupon code Raiders and get up to 30% on all sorts of collectibles, merchandise, and clothing. Natalie Portman was so great. She's one of the best actors alive. And it was great to see her back. And I really enjoyed there's that flashback montage of Thor and Jane being in a relationship because we only saw them in the two movies and we knew they were in a relationship, but like we never saw like couples. We never scenes. saw a dynamic. So it was great to see like this great like four minute sequence of their uh, courtship and living together and enjoying each other's time, but then growing apart and eventually breaking up. I really enjoyed that sequence. I was like, oh, that was, you haven't seen that in any Marvel movie. It was a great addition to show like, you know, add some humanity to the relationship, add some authenticity to it. There's, they're just doing relatable things like watching a movie on the couch. And I love Thor because he doesn't know, like he's never looked at a movie screen probably. And so when something scary happens, he like gets his hammer to protect them. Cause I think he still was like under trying to understand what exa what exactly the screen did. Just being goofy. Yeah, being silly. <laughs> but I really like those sequences and also how they break broke up made a lot of sense. And it felt, uh, felt like very related, relatable couple stuff, which we haven't seen in any really really in any movie Mar marvel movie pepper and tony they have a lot of stuff but not like super relatable they're still like billionaires in like a huge tower but like, just have people going through like normal breakup stuff the, the dishes thing is funny she's like it's two dishes she's like i had to stay up all night and clean the, the kitchen she's like it's two dishes <laughs> <laughs> so funny so i really like that addition and natalie natalie was terrific and i like how they seamlessly because when she's mighty thor she they seem she's very tall and she's much bigger and they actually made her like six feet tall almost and, and because Hemsworth is six three and yeah. I want I want to see the behind the scenes of what yeah. kind of boxes she's standing they, on because Natalie's they, five three they made entire platforms for her to walk on for like when they're walking together and it was hidden from the camera so like they they did a seamless job of having her almost as tall as Hemsworth's Thor. And it, it never really felt like out of place. Mm -hmm. And when she's like standing next to Valkyrie, she's like looks enormous. I, I, they did a great job showing the difference of the physicality of when she has the hammer and when she doesn't. And also it was tragic the first time we see, because we think that she's Mighty Thor and this is awesome, this is so cool. She's healed, but then we get that moment of her in the bathroom alone when she drops the hammer and it reveals her cancerous state and she's suffering as a human that was just really tragic, and to know that she's harboring that and dealing with that really informed the audience into her stakes uh, and her conflict. And I think it was really well written. Like you said, I think that Mighty Thor, they really just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and not that, not just that she has cancer, but she's getting worse. Yeah. And the, she thought that the hammer would help cure her cancer, but it's made it worse. And what I really also like is Jane is now this brilliant world famous astrophysicist you know she has the foster theory and they did a great job making her and thor equals in their relationship where you know he's a god but she's like 
such a superior she's such a brilliant human being they kind of they're balance, both saving people. they balance each other yeah. out in terms of like what they bring to the world yeah. which is really great it's a great dynamic and we learned that both of them together you know they weren't there for each other and thor was out the most and probably she said left the relationship first but not only was it closure for them as as characters but i think getting that flashback montage of their relationship and what happened it was closure for mcu fans and closure for the audience to understand what happened to their relationship what happened to their dynamic and and why it failed and i thought that was really special for us all to see i love the hot dog suit yeah (laughs) the hot dog suit and she's like a zombie just passed out in the bed she's amazing she's amazing god yeah (laughs) now jane we've learned really early is diagnosed with stage four cancer and she's trying to figure out a cure on her own but she can't do but she's also taking chemotherapy and then she gets the idea of like, what about these space Vikings? Maybe there's something to this power. But and this also magic. she hears the voice of Mjolnir. Yeah, and she hears yeah. Mjolnir calling to her when she's looking at the Viking books. And I really like the sequence where even though it's fast, when she goes to New Asgard and Mjolnir puts itself together and gives her the power of Thor and she's now worthy. And she has the power of Thor when she's wielding the hammer. Unfortunately for Jane, each time she's transformed into Mighty Thor, there are adverse effects on her health. The hammer purges her basically of all toxins from her body during the transformation process, including the radiation treatment for her cancer. So even though she's going through chemotherapy, every time she uses the, the hammer, she's becoming weaker and dying faster. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where yeah. she wants to be a hero. She wants to help. She wants to save herself, but also save humanity now and save those Asgardian kids and stop gore. But every time she uses the hammer, each time she picks it up, she's closer to death. Yeah. And I really liked, I like New Asgard and I like Valkyrie. I like how during that attack in New Asgard, she's just wearing like pajamas on her horse. <laughs> like people with she's like a Phantom of the Opera shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, Tessa's great. She's, I think she's one of the best uh, up and coming actors of the last several years. And, and she's perfect as Valkyrie. Uh, she has a great, she has great chemistry with Hemsworth. And I, I'm hopefully they'll always be working together in Thor movies. And uh, there's rumors that there's going to be a Valkyrie movie. And I think that would be a lot of fun to see. I'm glad she didn't die. I thought she was going to die too. when she got stabbed because it was a bad one. And then she's like, no, I'm fine, bro. But it's, you're going to do it by yourself still, though. It's because it was not the sword. It was from the lightning bolt. Oh, that's, that's true. That's stabbed her. Yeah. If it was the sword, she'd be dead. Yeah, she'd be totally that's dead. That's what I liked so much about Gore is because he's holding the necromancer sword, as I was called, right? Yeah. And so it's a god-killing weapon. And if it hits Thor, he's dead. Or hits Mighty Thor, she's dead. Or same thing with Valkyrie. So the stakes in the battle sequences were actually really high. Like the first time Thor and Gore fight, I'm like, oh, snap. If he gets hit with that, he's dead. That's why I think we needed to see another god-killing to show. Like if there was a sequence where he took out a few gods that seemed to be impenetrable with the sword. I mean, because yes, he he takes out Dionysus. But it was like a sneak attack when he stabbed him in the throat. And he uh, just got the powers, he just got yeah. The, yeah. But to see, if, if we had seen him attack several gods and take them out, no problem. I think that would have added a lot of stakes to the audience understanding just how dangerous this guy was. But, I, the sequences that he was in were great, though. I concur. The action sequences were very, very good. Now, how about we take a break and head to our intermission, then we'll get back to Thor Love and Thunder. Let's do it. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Manscaped.com, the leaders in men's grooming Unfortunately, you're probably not a god of thunder, and you cannot just instantly turn yourself into a new look and groomed person. However, with the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer from Manscaped.com, you have a rocket ship and a lightning bolt for your grooming needs. Get it today at Manscaped.com using our coupon code RAIDERSOFTHELOST at checkout for 20% off. 
and free shipping worldwide. Manscaped also just launched their Boxers 2.0. These are the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever owned in my entire life. I legit specifically point out, pick, figure out the days that I'm going to wear them because they are that cozy and comfy. I highly recommend getting a pair. They sent me and Anthony two pairs each, and they're the favorite briefs that I currently own at the moment. Also, their Platinum 4.0 collection is the best deal you could possibly get from their website. It has the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, body wash, two-in-one shampoo conditioner, deodorant, and all sorts of other goodies to turn you into a god of thunder grooming. Head on over to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Thunder grooming. I like it. Our other amazing sponsor, movieposters.com, has a special offer with us. You know it. Raiders 10 gets you up, gets you 10% off your order at movieposters.com. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster arsenal. They have every Marvel movie, every classic film, foreign films, TV shows. They got you covered. They also have a selection of framing, backlighting, and all sorts of things for your poster needs. Again, head on over to movieposters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, let's head into our intermission. And we'll begin with the movie quote competition. You ready? I'm ready. Juanita. Your wig's pull, so, pulling back a bit. You're showing, showing, showing some brown Thanks, hair. Pal, yeah. Thanks, Thanks it looks Palman. Thanks, like, It looks like a mess. I just called you <laughs> Palman. Palman. Thanks, Palman. The Palman. Palman. All right, ready? I started this company. You know how much I sacrificed? <laughs> I started this company. Norman Osborn. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> All right, here's my quote. The holy grail neath ancient Rosalind waits, the blade and chalice guarding o'er her gates. Adorned by master's loving art, she lies. She rests at last beneath the starry skies. Say the first two lines again. So, so someone's reading this. The holy grail neath ancient Rosalind waits, the blade and chalice guarding over her gates. I mean, it's probably wrong, but I'm just going to say the razor, uh, I mean, uh, Indiana Jones' last crusade. Eh. Yeah. Incorrect. Holy Grail. Uh, I don't know. Da Vinci Code. Oh. Nice. Threw you off. You did. All right, guess this movie release year. Mad Max. The original. 83. 79. Oh, wow. Darn. That leather jacket, man. Mm. Okay. What year did Apollo 13 come out? 1997. Five. Five. Oh, man. Good guess. Good Great guess. movie. Great movie. True story. I did a Ron Howard trivia week. Nice. All right, movie pop quiz time. What was Chris Hemsworth's first movie role? First movie role? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say... I'm just going to say Cabin in the Woods. You sure about that? I'm not sure, but that's my guess. It was actually Star Trek. Oh, yes, Kirk. Kirk's dad. Kirk's dad. Oh, man. James T. Kirk. Good, good one. Good Is one. his father's name James? Yeah. Because I know. Wait, wait Kirk, no. Kirk's name is James Tiberius Kirk. Never mind. I was, I'm not a Trekkie. <laughs> Dude, I, was, I was wrong. Don't worry. I think it was uh, Kyle Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Samsonite Kirk. All right. What's your pop quiz? Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> okay. What film did Ron Howard win Best Director for? 
Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. He's made a lot of great films. He's an excellent director. Crap, what did he win for? Um, He's made some really good ones. Yeah, I know. Like, he's made some good ones. <laughs> no. <laughs> Crap. Um, I'm blanking. Like, it's not Rush. It's not. It was Rush. No, I'm it's kidding. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Rush. I love Rush. Um, wow, I'm blanking on his filmography right now. Yeesh. Yeesh. I'm blanking. I don't know. A Beautiful Mind. Nice job. He also directed Apollo 13. He did. He was. I was surprised he didn't even get nominated for that. Really? Not even nomination for that. That's a really. He good did movie. a terrific job directing. It's one of the one best of, best space movies. For absolutely, sure. especially before CGI use was so prevalent. I highly recommended if y'all haven't seen it. They uh, yeah. do a bunch of great practical effects. They yeah. ran them up in the atmosphere yeah. with planes. Yeah, <laughs> like they were doing. They real, created that zero, zero gravity. G. Yeah, they started doing that. All right, who we got for uh, unsubscribes or haters? What do we got? We have a we have a good unsubscribe. We got a couple good ones. All right, so Liam Davis in our Nolan Time episode. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal actually plays the villain Mysterio in No Way Home. Not a superhero. <laughs> Clearly, Anthony did not do his research. Unsubscribed. Hashtag James is the better twin. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let's go. And that was that's the only one. It was it was a slow couple of days. We just did an episode, so we read off all the other ones from the rest of the week. We also have an awesome Godfather shout out today. Who is it? South Brute for Gaming. What? South Brute for Gaming. I'm just, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. His email is also super cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> super cool, man. I love it. What did super cool, man. Uh, pick for their movie. Alita Battle Angel. Oh, nice. Which is a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, Robert Rodriguez made it. I act- James Cameron produced it, right? He produced yeah. it. He was going to direct it, but he ended up doing uh, Focus on Avatar for instead. seventeen years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really liked it. I, I I had I had low expectations for it. I was like, I oh, don't know, this looks kind of crazy. And then I watched it. I was like, that was good. That was really good. So, um, really good pick, pal. Thank you so much for being a Godfather. Day of my daughter's wedding, you became a Godfather page. It's crazy how many Godfather pages. We are yeah, so lucky and fortunate. It's wow, unbelievable. The but support I, is insane. I can't wait to review Elite Battle Angel because I, I loved it. I loved it. I haven't seen it in a while, but man, it's gonna be so fun to revisit it. Absolutely. Uh, we have some great five-star reviews. So this one is from Photogonia. Nice change of pace from last episode. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribed. Really love this podcast. Great content that has actually made me laugh out loud while by myself in public spaces. <laughs> love to hear that. Love their perspective and love learning something new every time I listen. Wow. Photogonia, thank you. Wonderful. And also this one's from Mitchell Schwartz. Film lovers with passion and fun. This podcast is a blast. I feel like I'm hanging out with James and Anthony during each episode. And you know what? That's uh-huh. the goal. I find myself laughing out loud constantly while also gaining fantastic insights into the films I love. It's always a great time at the films. <laughs> great time at the films. <laughs> Over the past two years of listening, wow, two years, amazing. I've never seen such hardworking and genuine guys who love film. I appreciate how interactive they are on social media too. James and Anthony recognize why the classics are great, but can also appreciate lighthearted movies we grew up on. I too watched fill-in-the-blank movie all the time when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) We watched all the times when we were kids. I'm I'm loving the inside jokes. Each week, there's another episode that I look forward to. Keep up the great work, guys. If you don't, I'll have to unsubscribe. What a, what wow. a great review. Mitchell, what a great review. I got a frame that I put on it's the wall. Touching. It's touching. Thank you so much, pal. On this day in film history, today is July 11th in 1962. To Kill a Mockingbird is released in 1997. Contact is released in 2007. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is released in 2008. Journey to the Center of the Earth is released starring the king himself, Brendan Fraser. Brendan. 
2013 Sharknado, the all-time great, is released. Also, Orange is the New Black premiered on Netflix. And in 2014, Snowpiercer, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and Boyhood are all released. All banger movies on the same day. <laughs> like, wow. That's crazy, all three of those at the same time. Summertime, man. It's where they all come out. And birthdays, like, no one I knew. <laughs> so you so, know i love contact contact with I, think Foster. I think it's amazing it's such a good movie it's i think it's one of my one of the best sci-fi movies ever made it's that a great no one, space that movie. no one talks about an alien movie it's so good crazy third act so good i love it my streaming recommendation for this episode are actually two movies uh movie and its sequel the raid redemption and then the raid 2 which are both on hbo max now highly highly recommend these if you have never seen them Probably the the greatest martial arts action movies made in the last 10, 15 years. I can't recommend them enough. They are so well choreographed, all practical effects, really interesting and fun cinematography. Watch them ASAP. I completely agree. Thanks, man. They are. I don't think they're probably. I think they are the best so martial underrated. arts. So underrated. No one ever talks about 20 them. years. So good. And my streaming recommendation is A Beautiful Mind, which is on Hulu. A really terrific film. Russell Crowe is amazing. Jennifer Connelly, Paul Bettany, and Ron Howard, like I said, won Best Director. It also won Best Picture. And this is during Russell Crowe's streak of movies that was just insane. He did like Insider, uh, Beautiful Mind, a bunch of other films like back to back to back to back. It's crazy. He had a crazy early 2000s, man. Yeah. Nuts. All right, you ready to get back to the episode of Thor, Love, and Thunder? Another. Another. Now... Before we want, I want to get into some of like my cons for this film, but I want to talk about a few more pros. Specifically, I have a few more pros too. This movie's featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy without Gamora. So sad, but it seems like a new concept that Marvel might be playing with, which feature, which happens in comic books, where these characters jump in this series or this issue for a couple of sequences and scenes. So this movie featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy for just a couple scenes, just the opening first act, was a lot of fun, and I feel like it's something that they might start playing with other characters in the MCU. Um, is Gamora not there because? They're just not a couple anymore? Well, she's dead, technically. I think they're going to try to explain everything what's going on with Gamora in the third one. How'd she die? Well, she dies in um from Thanos. No, but she comes back from the past. I know, yeah. I know, but it's weird that she wasn't there. Yeah. I, th- I just think Zoe might not have been available. There's got to be re- no, there's gotta be a reason why they're there. It was probably just a couple days of shooting. Yeah. yeah. You know, the only one who really has lines is Peter Quill, really. Yeah, I was just wondering, I'm just wondering why... Gamora wasn't there. Maybe she's just not part of the crew right now. I think they're trying to... Yeah, they're, they're probably going to explain it when Guardians 3 yeah. comes out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because there's technically a cameo for all of them. Yeah. And Peter Quill only had a handful of I lines. liked how it was a cameo. It was fun. Because I, I liked how they were in and out. It's it's Thor's movie. Um, It's not a Guardians movie. So I liked just hanging out with them for a little bit. And it was great to see them for just like five minutes. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's but, fun because yeah. Korg's like, and Thor went out on his adventures with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like another classic Thor adventure. Yeah. And it seems like they've done this a hundred times where yeah. they go to battle. Yeah. They need Thor's help. And he shows up. And he's like, it's time that I save the day. And, and even uh, Peter Quill's like mouthing the lines yeah, that he's about yeah. to say. He's like, this <laughs> is the best part. Like, <laughs> I love he's like, I always keep everyone at arm's distance. 
<laughs> so you look, you're already too close. <laughs> so it's really You've grown attached to me. You could you could have this ship. Yeah. <laughs> She's a good vessel. You're giving me my own ship. Yeah, that's right. It's yours. And the crew, look after them. It'll be hard for them. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> Super fun. I thought it was great. It, it actually made me very much ex- very excited to see the new Guards of the Galaxy movie. And, and I love the out outro credits where it shows everyone's got these cool fonts with their names and says featuring Guardians of the Galaxy. So it seems like this is a concept they're going to play with where we get MCU characters who are huge but like bouncing around movies just for a couple sequences. Yeah. I also really liked how um, the Shadow Realm, if that's what it's called, and, and Gore, how it sucks color away. Yeah. I thought it was really... They went on... They went like pretty creative to go black and white for about... 15 minutes of the movie. I thought it was terrific. and I was really looking forward to that from yeah, the trailer. I think it worked really well. It was a really unique concept um, in how when they're using their weapons that illuminates a little bit of color on them, but not so much. But I really liked how they just desaturated and sucked out all the color from everything. I agree. I also thought this movie had great cameos. Obviously, it was great to see in the post credit scenes. We got our boy Idris Elba back, yeah. which is so cool to see him reprising his role. And then we obviously had Matt Damon as Loki. This is actually the fourth time that Matt Damon has played a version of Loki. So he did Thor Ragnarok. This, he was also a Loki in Dogma and in Jane Silent Bob, the reboot. Yeah, so the he, Fallen Angel. He's played yeah. Loki four times, which is really interesting. This cast features five Oscar winners, Christian Bale, Matt Damon, Natalie Portman, Taika Waititi, and Russell Crowe, as well as two Oscar nominees, Bradley Cooper and Melissa McCarthy, who plays Hella in the in yeah. the sequence of the of the stage, and I, I love Russell Crowe's accent. I think he did Italian. No, it sounded Greek. Greek? Oh yeah, Greek. It sounded yeah, Greek. Must Greek, have been Greek. Greek god. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, he was terrific, and he had like the curled hair. I loved it. It was just so much fun. I haven't seen Russell Crowe in a movie in a while. Yeah, and also- he did a, a TV series um, about the uh, the Fox News um, owner. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. What was that guy's name? But he did a that's that was one of the most recent things he's did. He's Unhinged, done, yeah. Um, oh, Unhinged, yes, Unhinged was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I loved Unhinged. That came out uh, last year. It was so good. And also, Chris Hemsworth's wife, Elsa Padake, has a cameo. Like I said, as one of Thor's old flames in that little opening sequence of Korg explaining the past loves of uh-huh. Thor. She, um, I think she's the wolf lady. I think so, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, some other fun parts. I think New Asgard was really interesting and fun because it's like, I wonder if Disney did it on purpose. It's like a Disney, Ironically yeah. meta satirizing how New Asgard is a tourist trap, even though this is what Disney does with every single one of their properties and turns into a But also, park. it's like the best way for New Asgard to make money. Exactly. Yeah. And, and build an economy. The goats, I like I like how they put like Asgardian gold and designs on like these shipping homes. Yeah, <laughs> <in the coastal laughs> Val- homes. Valkyrie's doing the Old yeah. Spice commercial. Yeah, this is really <laughs> funny. Yeah, so it was cute. It's fun. I like the goats at first, but the goats were kind of like annoying. They got they, for me. They I think half the audience liked them, half didn't. Yeah, because the first couple times they screamed, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, oh my god, like it was shocking and jarring in a yeah. good way. But then like. To keep getting the goat screaming. I don't know if it worked for me after the second half of the film. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it was cute. It was fun. I thought. I, thought I think it it's for neat. kids. Yeah, like it works for kids. I think a lot. It's a great toy to sell. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> now, do you have any other pros, real quick, that you want to bring up before I that get? That I haven't brought up already. Um, or we, can, we can get to some more later. But yeah, yeah, I have a couple of cons mind. I want yeah. to talk about. So the main con again is so much comedy and, and sarcasm and humor you know all fun and no play held this movie back from being i think what could have been a top 15 top 10 marvel movie you know ragnarok showed us you can have a ton of fun but also be very serious at the same time 
The constant joking, especially with Thor, took away from dramatic moments. And a perfect example of this odd tone where 95% of the movie is just like one-liners and jokes, it felt like. And then there would be moments of seriousness. But what uh, Taika had to do in order to make the audience realize that there's actually stakes in this movie and that the world could end, finally we get this feeling where he has to literally gag with vines the three heroes the three gods with vines from gore and then then gore runs christian bale runs a great like four minute monologue and then you finally feel the seriousness of the tone in the film and the character but they had to literally close the mouths of the three heroes in order to create a serious tone which i think it's kind of a disservice to the other characters where they're only there for kind of comedic and dramatic comedic relief for the most part in some dramatic moments. But like, I'm not like that was an example, I think where they forced a serious tone on us by shutting the mouths of the three heroes. That's a good point. Cause otherwise the, the Asgard attack was great. And, but even when something terrible happened, there was a lot of comedy involved and it's, I'm not always a fan of when something terrible happens, like kids being kidnapped or someone getting killed, like, and then busting into a joke 10 seconds later. It can kind of take you out of the serious moment and the stakes that are happening. Um, like, a joke that I really liked that was very funny was Matt Damon and um, Hemsworth's brother. The playwrights were like, oh, can we make a play of this? I thought that was really funny. They didn't, she didn't say no. Yeah, she didn't say no. <laughs> that was great, and it worked in that moment. But there are a few other moments where... You know, cracking a joke during a somber moment or a serious moment didn't really... It kind of takes away from um, any kind of emotional resonance that the moment would have. Like, the entire time these kids from New Asgard are kidnapped, you never felt, like, scared of it. Because it was, it was a constant joke. Obviously, when Gore gets in there, the cage with them, it's very creepy. And I wish that was even extended and he yeah. went further. But, like, every time, like Anthony brought up earlier, that... Thor is talking to the kids. It's just like all oh, jokes. And don't worry, I'll get you out of here. He's worry. like a bumbling idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like these kids are terrified. They're yeah. in the shadow realm, being held in a in a cage of of fangs. It's like terrifying, yeah. but there's really no fear. Yeah, I, I, agree. I didn't feel a fear. And he did end up talking to like Axel a bit and being a little bit more positive in terms of reinforcement. But it's still like I want him to like try and make a, a fatherly connection and bond with the kids to like make sure like I'm coming. Uh, I, I'm going to do everything I can to rescue you all. And we're working out. But he's like, we got like a crack team, the, the best team. And, Don't worry, guys. We're yeah. going to be fun. I'm, was, I'm it, sarcastic, Thor. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, Those moments really, I, I was. I wish we had a, a little bit more of a, 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 a more These kids serious, are in a cage in the yeah. shadow realm. Let's, let's yeah. take it seriously for a yeah, second. Just for one minute, <laughs> just for one minute Thor. Because the thing is like, I... <clears throat> The uh, the goofiness and the silliness could be used as an, an insecurity of masking his pain, and that it does work like that um, in certain scenes, like when he's talking to Jane and just using sarcasm and humor to try and get away from actually having a difficult conversation. That's when it really works, and you understand the character and why he is like this. But I think moments like kidnap children, it doesn't play as well. But it, it does work when he's talking to Jane. I also really missed a character. I really missed Loki. Yeah. Loki's presence for yeah. me was felt because he's so important to Thor and the character and all of the previous Thor films and interactions of Thor in the MCU. And obviously he's not, I'm sure they'll be re- reunited. You know, the end credits said Thor will be back. Thor will return. I'm sure Loki and Thor will have a reunion. It'll be great. But I was really missing Loki. I mean, Loki brings so much great conflict and ambiguity to every story and film that he's in as well as providing us with great 
chewy dialogue. Like Loki always has great dialogue, and I think that would have would have improved the script a lot more. I, I understand that they can't have Loki in every Thor movie, especially where he's trapped right now. But I think the presence of no Loki, I really felt in this movie. I think I disagree. I think it was I think it was great without Loki, um, especially because he's died so many times. To so just have him stay dead for a little bit, I like that. Not him coming back, it'd be like, <laughs> oh, so none of these deaths even ever matter. He lost his brother Loki again, again, and, and again. again. <laughs> I like how they uh, meta uh, made fun of that, but I, I'm fine. I'm happy that Loki wasn't in actually. So I, I think it, Hiddleston. I think he's just such a strong actor. Yeah, it's his presence that's missed as an actor more than anything. Thing. Yeah, maybe that's what I was. But thinking. I mean, ha- replacing him, especially as replacing him as a sidekick with Mighty Thor, I think was just terrific. Yeah, Mighty Thor was like I said. I think they nailed the heck out of it. Yeah, and, and it was nice to see her again to Valhalla. Yeah, it was really it was a yeah. great post credits. The post credit scenes were actually both really good in this movie. Yeah. The first credit scene, post credit scene, is Zeus sur- survived the lightning bolt strike from Thor, and he introduces his son Hercules, who's gonna make. Their subjects fear gods again. So obviously we're getting a, a little hint at future villains and antagonists in the MCU, as well as the second post-credit scene was Jane Foster entering Valhalla with Hamdiel, with Hamdal, which was really great. Which means uh, possibly Thor will reunite with her one day in Valhalla. Maybe that would be. That's I guarantee really we point. see that happening. We see if he dies we'll in see, battle. Yeah, Hemsworth, Thor die, and then he'll reunite with. Uh, Jane in Valhalla. I liked in in uh, Omnipotent City, which is basically the city of the gods. The divine government and apparently orgies as well and the crew the four of them they're going there to try to recruit an army or soldiers or even zeus himself to help fight gore the god butcher and stop him before he starts killing more gods and we really got like anthony was talking about earlier the great apathy and apathetic take on gods first their subjects how they're basically they look down upon their subjects as basically ants below their boots they don't care at all about them all they want is just to be worshipped, and they'll create new beings if they have to. Like, Gore is the last of his kind, and even though he still is showing, um, pledging himself loyalty. To, loyalty to his god and faith in his god, he's <clears throat> denied his acceptance into the afterlife, the great eternal gift that he was promised with his religion and the faith of his people and his planet. And then that's obviously, I think, shown so well with how little the gods care about their people. And Zeus is just so arrogant and has created this culture among the gods that they don't care at all about their subjects and they're all powerful and all they care about is feasting and their orgies. I'm looking forward to seeing how um, the gods, especially the Greek gods, come into play because we've seen Egyptian gods with Moon Knight. And so I'm sure we'll see more of them as well. But uh, we always geeked out on Greek gods at school. It was one of my favorite subjects to ever study in school were the Greek gods. And so to be able to see, like, I don't know the comics, so... I'm not sure how many are there, but maybe Poseidon will be there. You know, all these famous Apollo, all these famous Greek gods. I think they are superheroes in, in the Marvel comics. Um, so it would be a lot of fun to see them. More more Greek gods because the Norse gods, like Thor, we didn't grow up learning about Norse mythology. So I learned who Thor was from Thor, the movie. And so to see like Zeus and then Hercules and then all these other Greek gods that we grew up learning about will be a lot of fun. It's interesting that they're going to be, it seems like, antagonists in the future, yeah. which is pretty interesting. I like yeah. it. Um, the plot could sometimes get a little janky in this movie here and there. You know, I, I think when they're on the Shadow Realm on that little moon and they're fighting Gore, I thought the action sequences was great. Like I said earlier, the battle was really cool. We have Valkyrie and Mighty Thor going against the Shadow Monsters while Thor fights Gore, and then they all kind of take turns fighting Gore. Really cool, but then they kind of just, Valkyrie gets stabbed with the lightning bolt that they got from from Zeus, 
And then it seemed like when we're watching, like they could have taken Gore out. Mm-hmm. And instead they obviously go back to Earth to get Valkyrie to a hospital. And that's where Stormbreaker gets stolen while they're trying to transport themselves there, interdimensionally travel, basically. And I was watching them like, I feel like they could have taken him out right there. Well, also, Gore could have taken them out as well. Um, when he had them tied up in the vines, he could have at least taken out Valkyrie if he wanted to. Um, so, there, And what did we just see where the villain had... Um, it's Stranger Things, when Vecna had L tied up, and he's like, I want you to watch. And he's slowly yeah. walking <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Slower. Honestly, if, if Vecna and Michael Myers were in a walking race, I think that... <laughs> Mike Myers would absolutely yeah. lap Vecna. <laughs> exactly. But there's, it's like this villain cliche where the writers are just like, yeah, the villain captures them, but he he's not going to kill, kill him because plot. Yeah, exactly. So well, obviously he needs Stormbreaker yeah. and he's using them like he could. You're right. He, he could have killed, killed Valkyrie, Valkyrie and then threatened to kill yeah, Mighty Jay, Thor. Yeah. So that I mean that would make more sense as a as a villain to do, but obviously it's not going to happen that way. And this is just like how movies kind, some movies are. That's how they handle the villains. So there's moments like that where he, they could have taken him out, he could have taken them out. Yeah, the theme of love is all over this movie. Like Christopher Nolan's touch on film is like everywhere. <laughs> we just saw it in, in, a, in Lightyear, and yeah. now it's here in another Disney property yeah. with Thor: Love and Thunder. And it seems like you know love is like the main theme of this film and the answer to destruction and the answer to gore's hate for gods and and you know the god of hypocrisy and and the only way to save the world basically is to convince him to to focus on love and and just uh, like embrace his love and bring his daughter back from the dead which again yeah. was chris hemsworth's daughter is so cute and then i love how the the movie it's not love and thunder in terms of like jane foster in Mighty Thor, it's Love and Thunder because that's the name. That's Gore's daughter. It's Love, Love and Thunder, and Hemsworth's daughter, and they're a team at the end. And you think they're going? To, she's going to school. Like, put your boots on. Like, oh, I told you to put your boots on. Yeah. And they just go to battle. It was actually really fun. And I liked cute. it a lot. Um, so I really liked the concept of using love to stop a villain. A, a con that I have with the movie is the plot. It was actually quite simple. And there weren't really that many scenes. A lot of the scenes were pretty long. It was just there was a lot of scenes that were just fight sequences. But if you look at it, the squad they just went from New Asgard to um, the Shadow Realm, fought Gore, failed, and then they went to Eternity and fought. And that's basically the plot. And then obviously Jane set up, and and Thor set up before that. But there weren't that many scenes if you think about actually the story. So I I would have liked some more scenes and some more I think more story would have improved the film. Uh, more things for them to do than just, maybe they there could have been another sequence of not involving Gore, but involving some way to get to Gore or, or to defeat him. I think it, uh, there just could have been more story involved. I think if they put in the scenes that they deleted of Gore killing other gods mm-hmm. or planning, it would have just made it so much better. Because, you know, you're right, between the Shadow Realm and then Eternity and an Omnipotent City, there aren't that many sets. You're right, yeah. New Asgard's a main pl- place that they're chilling at for a while. Yeah. Um, I did like the concept of like the kids of Asgard like getting the power of Thor and fighting the shadow temporarily. creatures tempor- temporarily <laughs> the power of Thor which I thought was really fun it was, it was so very, cool I think that must have been great for the kids to yeah, see and yeah I'm telling you they're recruiting some new MCU stands with yeah. this movie like it, kids like 5 to 10 are like whoa Thor is so cool it's, it's so much fun and then clearly Heimdall's son Axel is now it looks like being set up to be a future main character in the MCU and which is really cool. 
And again, all these kids are the Asgardians, and a lot of them are the filmmakers' kids. Taika has his two kids in there. Christian Bale has his his kids in there. Natalie has her kids in there as well. Obviously, Hemsworth's kids are in this movie too. Very cute. So you're right. It's it's a family film. Family influenced the movie more than anything. But overall, you know, I had a, like I said, I had a really good time watching this, even with these cons here and there. Um, In terms of Jane's worthiness of the hammer, it's kind of explained with the flashback of their relationship where, you know, when she's asleep on the bed after their Halloween night and he asks Mjolnir to always look after Jane. That's basically, I'm I'm guessing, where the worthiness of Jane Foster getting the power of Thor comes from. That's my guess, too, because when he said that, that little symbol lit up on Mjolnir. I kind of feel like that sort of maybe took a little bit away from Jane's character and implies that she wasn't worthy without Thor letting her be worthy or something like that. But also, I mean, are you worthy if you're using the hammer to save yourself? But the thing is, that's that's, not why she's worthy. She's worthy because... I know, that's what I'm saying. So it works for for Thor to to ask Mjolnir to take care of her because if she goes to the hammer to save herself, does that make you worthy of the hammer? Well, technically, she's the hammer's taking care of her and helping her in a way. So it's just kind of odd because in the comics, it's a little different. So the way that she wields the hammer in the comics in Thor Volume 4, number one, the God of Thunder lost his ability to wield the hammer when the Avengers battled Nick Fury. The man whispered something in Thor's ear, causing him to become unworthy of Mjolnir. The hammer stayed on the moon as Thor and even Odin couldn't move the mystical object. By the end of the comic book issue, an unidentified female character arrived on the moon and lifted the hammer as the inscription on the weapon changed to Whosoever hold this hammer, if she be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. It was eventually revealed that while Thor's hammer was still on the moon, it telepathically sought out Jane. She had asked Heimdall to take her to the hammer's location, so he transported her to the moon. When Jane picked up Mjolnir, she instantly transformed and gained Thor's power. She decided to keep her identity as Mighty Thor's secret. Blah, 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 blah. And that's what happens in the comic. And, and mm-hmm. also, I believe she was granted immortality before this all, when she was living on, New, on Asgard and stuff like that. So. Uh-huh. Happens a little differently in the comics versus the book, but it seemed, but like the worthiness, I thought like, are they, are they going to make her worthy of the hammer just because of the kind of person she is? But then it was revealed that it's because Thor wanted the hammer to look after her always. Mm. So it was an interesting way to explain how she became worthy of the hammer because very, very few people are worthy of Thor's hammer. Obviously, we find out Captain America was worthy of it in Endgame, which was such a great little I knew great it. sequence and scene. So it seems like Thor kind of has like a little loophole of he can give worthiness of the hammer to specific people he yeah, wants because yeah. of love. I think that's what it is, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Because I, my opinion is if you're if you're trying to get the hammer to save yourself, that shouldn't make you worthy. Yeah, I don't think that's not that, it at that's all. That's out of self um, – self gain because you think that's it at first but then yeah. they actually they it was a good way the to flashback. explain it that it's, yeah. it's out of love thor's love for jane which makes her worthy yeah not to say that she's not a good person that's what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. she's a terrific person yeah, she's a wonderful person the foster theory she's Come on, my man. favorite person <laughs> <laughs> um anything else you got i'm good i think it was i think thor love and thunder was a great addition to the thor franchise it was a lot of fun it was a great change of pace from multiverse of madness uh very funny I, I, I really enjoyed it. I give this movie a 7 out of 10. Yeah, 7 out of 10 as well. Let's not forget to shout out Michael Giacchino, who cannot be stopped. This man has taken over the Disney. superhero world. No, Disney. Disney yeah. world. Yeah, superhero. Disney world. Yeah. Doing so many great scores in addition to 
DC and the yeah. Batman. I believe for this, he just made the main theme. No, he did the whole entire oh, score. Did he? Oh. Even though it said themes by him, he uh-huh. did the entire score. Oh, okay. I wonder so, why I credited him like that. I think it gave him music and themes by okay. Chikino. Okay. And the visual effects were great. And, I'm, yeah. and this was my maybe my favorite outro credits of any MCU movie so far. It, it was, was very really, creative, really yeah. cool. I loved it. And I kind of want to like get my own graphics made of that. But when you stay and wait for the post-credit scenes, it's insane how many thousands of visual effects artists it takes to make something like this. And it looked terrific. And I think this movie, visual effects-wise, definitely looked better than Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I enjoyed it more than that. But, you know, I, I'm pretty excited to see what goes forward with Thor, where he's going to end up next. And obviously the Guardians. We got some other great stuff coming out from MCU in the future. So thanks for tuning in to this episode on Thor, Love and Thunder. Take care, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, John A. Graz, Cody Moen, Calvin Cam, and Lauren Smertz. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.